Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. While more and more electric cars are hitting the streets, Tyga Motors is about to bring the world's first commercial electric snowmobiles into ski areas and into the backcountry. Tyga has been on my radar for a few years now, and here in Crested Butte, my conversations with reviewers and friends frequently end up coming back around to the topic of electric sleds. I personally am extremely excited about this development. Others in our group are probably best described as cautiously optimistic, and then there are a few folks who are simply quite skeptical. So I figured it was time to go right to the source and try to get as much information and as many details as I could from Tyga Motors co-founder and CEO, Sam Bruneau. Plus, Tyga is currently running a pre-order for their TS3 sleds, so the timing of this conversation is even more relevant. It's also a really interesting conversation for anyone interested in sleds, of course, but more broadly, anyone who is interested in innovation in any area is going to find this conversation pretty compelling. Sam and I talk about the Taiga backstory, which basically involves three buddies working on a fun college project, and what it was that caused those three friends to believe that there was an actual business here. Sam also discusses the long process of designing electric sleds from the ground up, the specifics of charging a Taiga, and how Taiga's electric sleds measure up against gas-powered snowmobiles in terms of power, torque, weight, range, and their performance in harsh temperatures. Again, this is a really interesting conversation, and I want to give a shout-out to Noah Bodman, Eric Friesen, Tom Runcie, and Rob Dickinson, for making this an even better conversation by contributing good questions. And just one more thing, since we are talking here about innovation, if you haven't done so already, once you're done with this conversation, you really ought to check out another conversation I had last week with the guys at Gorilla Gravity in Denver who are manufacturing mountain bikes from a newer form of carbon. It's a big deal, and you can hear all about why it's a big deal over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, That you can find on the Blister website or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here it is, my conversation with Taiga Motors CEO and co-founder, Sam Bruneau. Sam, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, Calling out of Montreal in Canada. And are you at Taiga HQ now? Yeah, right here at Taiga HQ, uh, we're based just on the south end of the island of Montreal. What is Taiga Motors and what is your role there? So Taiga Motors is a company working on the electrification of snowmobiles and to a larger scope, the electrification of power sport vehicles in general. I'm here as currently the CEO and one of the co-founders of the company. Okay, CEO and co-founder. Tell me a little bit about your other co-founders. Yeah, so the, th- the three of us actually met back in university. This started almost 10 years ago now as a university project. Um, we had a great time and kept the project going after university. But really, the, the idea for Taiga started out of the ski industry mostly. It was driven by demand there. Back when we were still students, it was kind of wild. We were getting requests from some of the biggest ski operators in the world, you know, they wanted us to build them a fleet of 50 electric snowmobiles. And that kind of keyed us into, there was a growing demand for this product and there was no one else working on it. So did this, first of all, what university were you at? We're at McGill. You're at McGill and we're talking, this is um, about what year? Uh, So we started in 2010. And then the really demand started picking up. We were seeing 2012, 2013, uh, starting to get a lot of inquests from, from everywhere. It was crazy. We were, <laughs> there was this indoor ski company from Brazil that wanted to order 40 snowmobiles to do tours. So at that point, we, we were realizing that there's an international demand for these. And when we started digging and contacting more people, it turned out that everyone would like an electric snowmobile. If you can offer a good range and a good price, 
the benefits are so great. So your, your co-founders are who? It, it, we're talking, we're at McGill, it's 2010, and it's you and... So you got uh, Paul Ashaw and Gabriel Bernetches. We're three guys uh, born and raised in the province of Quebec. So kind of where the snowmobile started off a long time ago. Uh, we're three engineers, all love going fast, building, <laughs> working on cars, and also big into outdoor sports, uh, skiing, backcountry skiing. Three of us do, do a lot of that. Uh, me personally, my dad is a ski coach. I, I grew up on, on the hills. And so were you guys, before you got to McGill, were you guys all snowmobile users, snowmobile riders, and or were you not accessing backcountry skiing via sleds? No, we were recreational snowmobile riders, um, uh, but not intensive in any way. And unfortunately, out, out here in Quebec, there's not much backcountry riding, uh, more just the groomers. Uh, so we would just go skiing with lifts and um, snowmobiling as a separate sport. And the way this went, you guys meet and you're sitting around together thinking, hey, would it, wouldn't it be cool if we like made an electric snowmobile? Or were these requests coming in to McGill and different resorts and different entities were saying, hey, McGill, why don't some of your students there drum up this electric snowmobile? Like which, which I'm kind of trying to get clear on chicken in the air. Yeah, yeah. so what happened was um, there's a student project competition called the Clean Snowmobile Challenge. It's still going on today. McGill competed there. So we had this team, undergrad students, we would convert an existing gas snowmobile to electric, go to this competition, compete against other universities. It just so turned out that McGill was one of the really only universities building a decent electric sled. So we ended up winning that competition a few times and getting a bit of media exposure around that. And that's when people started calling us up. Now, when you say us, you mean specifically McGill students started winning or the three of you guys? M McGill students, yeah. The team, the team was a bit bigger. Uh, still a small team. We were kind of the three main players, uh, but there's some other guys there involved as well. Okay, so now we were talking 2012, 2013, you're seeing these requests from different entities around the world and they're saying, hey, we'd love it. We'd love 40 electric sleds or 50 electric sleds, et cetera. This was enough to get you guys to think maybe this is more than just a cool, you know, university project. There, there might actually be a company here. It, it took a while in the making, kind of brewing the pot for us to start realizing there might be a real opportunity. So we were still finishing undergrad. We were focusing on our projects at the time, uh, just passing our classes. And then as we were getting to the end of our undergrad in 2014, we had the chance to uh, participate in this startup competition at the university. It was called the Dobson Cup. Um, uh, there's only 200 teams that participate. And we were lucky to get some good mentors and some good guidance. So we decided to apply to the startup competition with the idea of electric snowmobiles. And then the whole business case was kind of built out over that last year of our undergrad. And we ended up winning that startup competition. And that's actually where we found our first set of investors from there. And it's what allowed us to launch Taiga. So let's let's talk a little bit more about this the business opportunity here. I, I guess the first question I would ask is, you know, how big is this market? The snowbill market is around one hundred thirty thousand units a year, um, uh, depending on what you include in the revenue scope. It's like one point five to two billion dollars a year in revenue. That's globally. So it's a quite it's a quite small market when you compare it to automotive or even motorcycles. It's what makes the off-road market quite challenging. One of the reasons why no one's addressed it yet as well, because there's everyone's really excited by after Tesla's success, everyone was trying to replicate it on the on-road space. And then with motorcycles as well, there's a lot of entries there because they're such bigger markets. Um, but what's interesting about snowmobiles and other off-road vehicles is that they remain 
quite polluting compared to the on-road vehicles on a per vehicle basis. So even with a small amount of them, you end up having a really big impact. And that was what was really interesting to us, especially the case scenario coming from the ski hills because recreational riders, the environmental impact isn't that big. Um, you know, they ride a few weekends a year. The overall impact is quite small. They don't do very many kilometers, uh, but the commercial users like ski mountains and tour operators will be putting in, you know, 5,000 plus miles a winter. So it really racks up in terms of emissions. So if we're talking roughly about 130,000 units a year, how does that break down between commercial and recreational? You have a good, almost 20% of that, which is commercial, but still the big slice of the market is a recreational. Do you guys see the electric snowmobile concept as better suited to snowmobile enthusiasts, or is it better for working professionals, you know, like such as in ski area use or whatever? I think there's equal benefits to all of them. Um, the commercial users will have a bigger benefit in terms of fuel savings and in terms of overall maintenance cost savings. So your kind of ownership price will be lower for them because they're just putting so much more miles on them as well as on the clientele relation side, their commercial users have that added kind of advantage where on a ski resort, maybe they get several complaints all the time about, you know, snowbills running by and being loud and smelling bad. So that that's something they're very aware of and something they want to try and find a solution to just to improve uh, their relations with their guests. And then in terms of tour operators, we've gotten a lot of feedback doing testing with tour operators that, when new people come on to the snowmobile scene, you go on a vacation, you want to try going snowmobiling. Uh, the learning curve on a combustion snowmobile is quite steep. The, the way the thrall responds, it's kind of not really well balanced. It's hard to ride for a beginner. The electric is completely smooth. It's silent. And uh, you, know, you, you don't end up smelling like gasoline at the end of the day. So it's a much better learning, like kind of entry experience into the sport of snowmobiling for um, people going on these snowmobile tours. And that's something that tour operators are really excited about to be able to start marketing electric snowmobile tours because they've done some marketing testing and it's shown that they would really be able to increase their business if they switch to electric. I think I want to ask you for a little bit more of the kind of broad and quick elevator pitch, right? For somebody who is maybe pretty early here and thinking about electric snowmobiles and some of the advantages and some of the disadvantages, let me just hear you talk in a kind of a broad and quick way about like, let's lay out the advantages of why go to an electric snowmobile as opposed to a traditional gas engine snowmobile. Yeah, there's a few main significant advantages. One, which every snowmobiler really looks for is performance. So the electric gives you that instant torque and the torque at any RPM, which is so key for varying snow conditions. So you can climb a mountain with an electric snowmobile, unlike anything you can do with a gas snowmobile. Uh, so that's performance is one. Uh, two is reliability and maintenance. So a snowmobile should be about you know, accessing the backcountry, about going out and having fun in the snow. It shouldn't be about fixing it in the garage every weekend. So unlike the gas engines that require a lot of maintenance, the electric one is really just plug and play. Uh, you don't have to touch anything in the engine for basically the whole ownership of the snowmobile. And then thirdly, you, you have really no noise and zero emissions. So you can go snowmobiling wherever you want do your thing and you won't be bothering anyone else. I think on the kind of impact standpoint, the, the big thing is obviously, yes, reduce emissions, but it's really about access and being able to, you know, go anywhere. And there is kind of like we talked about at the beginning, not a rivalry, but sometimes the backcountry skiers and the backcountry snowmobilers don't <laughs> get along because they're kind of stepping on each other's toes. But with an electric snowmobile, you know, every, and they, the snowmobilers realize this too, and the skiers, if you can have a machine that has all the performance you want, 
and doesn't have any negative impact, then that's just a better machine. I think it might be interesting to talk a little bit and have you walk us through the development of and the evolution of the the Taiga platform. So if I have this right, we might then be talking about like the TS1, the TS2, and a TS3. That is correct. Let's talk about the TS1. Uh, what year did we have a thing called the TS1? And tell me a bit about that. So TS1 was dated in 2015, uh, kind of beginning of 2016. It what TS standard for internally was our nomenclature for Taiga Snow One. So it was the first generation prototype of the snowmobile platform. That one was never really shown to anybody. It was our test platform completely in-house, mostly a conversion of an existing snowmobile that we did a lot of benchmark testing on with our internal electric components. That's the one where rumors kind of started around Tiger Motors. We went out west into the Whistler Revelstoke area of British Columbia with it and did a lot of testing at the end of the winter. Uh, got some good results and some good feedback and then went back to build the TS2 to Tiger Snow 2 platform, which is the one that there's a lot more photos of circulating around. That was what was unveiled kind of like last winter. We had five prototypes of that built up, did a lot of testing across North America, kind of from East Coast to West Coast. We were from Eastern Canada all the way through, well, actually Colorado and down to California and back up and everywhere in between. Yeah, interacted with hundreds of different riders and different kind of trains, different users to get the feedback on what's a perfect snowmobile to them. And then we went back to the drawing board for a TS3 platform which is what's coming up this upcoming winter. And it's going to be the production version. There's been some big evolutionary steps in each of the models. It's what's great about a startup compared to one of the maybe bigger OEMs. We're very fast evolving and flexible. So we can go out, you know, interact with hundreds of riders, get their feedback and make drastic changes across the entire model to, to really address all the feedback that we get. Yeah, one of the biggest things that we've been pushing internally is for more energy for the same weight in the snowmobile. That's the name of the game for electric vehicles, having more battery capacity to go further, but not increasing their weight is really key, especially on off-road vehicles like snowmobiles. So the TS1 had around 10 kilowatt hours, and we've been increasing with each generation by almost 50% the battery capacity. So the TS3 that's coming out next winter, the base model is gonna have around 21 kilowatt hours. So we've more than doubled, and that's just the base model, the overall capacity of the battery in under four years. Can you say more about that? I mean, are you working with other you know, partners on this and they're like, hey man, you're gonna love what we've got coming up in five months. Yeah, so a big part of it is the cell suppliers themselves, the cell chemistry just keeps evolving so fast. We're seeing increases year after year, and that's really reflected in the automotive space as well, where the battery capacities have also been increasing. And then on our end as well, there's a lot of work that's gone into all the packaging that goes around the battery and the management systems represent a pretty significant percentage of the weight of a battery pack. So the more you can optimize all the auxiliary components that just go around the cell and really reduce those, then that's when you can really start pushing your, your battery energy density. And it's been a very big challenge because snowmobiles and off-road vehicles have really intensive use cases that have really high power output requirements and also really big vibrational and impact requirements. So the battery pack has been designed to you know, jump off a 100-foot cl cliff with a snowmobile and, and be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Make something that doesn't blow up when somebody sends it off a 100-foot cliff. Exactly. Okay, so what I heard you say then is basically from TS1 to S2 to S3, the primary thing have been improvements in, in the battery. Yeah, the internal, yeah, the internal side has been improvements on the battery. Uh, we've had pretty good improvements on power as well in terms of overall power delivered by the vehicle so you can get better acceleration climbing. And then the other really big change 
between especially TS2 and TS3 platform is all the ergonomics and suspension feel of the snowmobile, which is something that you can only really tune into through user feedback. That's why it was so important for us to get out testing and find out exactly what people wanted, especially what people wanted in different segments of the market because a utility snowmobile isn't at all the same as a backcountry mountain snowmobile. So to get the feedback from those people and be able to work it into the engineering side on the platform, get the ergonomics that everyone's looking for and the suspension feel that everyone's looking for in the different segments, that's been a big evolutionary step for us as well. Yeah, our reviewer, Eric Friesen, this was one particular question he was really interested in, like given the instant torque, he was curious about trenching issues off the line if uh, if you didn't have a suspension set up to deal with uh, with an instant torque capability. Yeah, exactly. So there's all the systems interplay into one another and you have to be careful when you're designed to be designing from a full vehicle perspective. So that's why we did a ground up design on the snowmobile platform itself around the electric powertrain specifically because you wanna tune your suspension and your center of gravity so that it's perfect with the electric powertrain. And then on the electric powertrain itself, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do that you can't do with the gas engine. So we have a lot of advanced electronics and control systems where we can actually start implementing uh, traction control on, on snowbills, which hasn't been done yet. Uh, so you can really have the best grip at any time. And all the parameters can be tuned by the rider if you want uh, to, to find his perfect ride. I mean, the, the power and torque delivered by the electric powertrain is what makes them such a joy to ride. And the difference between a combustion snowmobile and an electric snowmobile is much bigger than the difference between a gas car and electric car. So you see the reaction videos of people in Teslas when they step on the acceleration and they're blown away by how fast it is. That difference is really magnified in a snowmobile because the snowmobile has a CBT transmission which uh, has a slip off the line, which gets completely eliminated with the direct electric transmission. So the acceleration is just incre <laughs> incredible. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see a bunch of videos of people on Tigas just like gunning it off the line directly into a tree. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. But, but that's one of the great things is it is still surprisingly, even though What's the coolest thing is that you can get almost not recommended, but you know you can put like a kid on the electric snowmobile and he'd be able to to pull the throttle down full and and beat the most experienced rider in a gaslit off the line, no problem. And it it wouldn't be dangerous because the way the throttle is applied is very controlled and linear, and there's not a huge uh, jerk and weight transfer that you would get on on the gas snowmobile. So it makes not only performance accessible, but high performance accessible to, to anyone. You don't have to be an expert rider to get on the most powerful machine. Well, every single sled neck I know is extremely excited about the instant torque. That said, let's then talk about one of the, you know, primary concerns. How is this thing going to hold up and work in I think you're, usually the question is in extremely cold temperatures and then less frequently in extremely hot temperatures. So let's talk a bit about the whole temperature thing. Yeah, temperatures are the biggest challenge for snowmobiles and really any off-road vehicle because they run from Arctic conditions to summer conditions and under really high power loads. So un unlike a car, when you're on the highway, you're only giving about 10% throttle. With, with a snowmobile, you could blast up a mountain and be holding it pinned down at 100% for half an hour. <laughs> uh, so that makes heating issues come up. So you have this really interesting thing where you could start in the morning, it could be negative 40 out, and then you're gonna pin it up the mountain and then you'll start off heating up the battery pack to an optimal temperature and you'll end up at the top of the mountain with your cooling system on at 100% to try and keep everything cool. So you see these really big temperature gradients and that's where a lot of our development has gone into. Uh, we have really advanced thermal management systems, uh, some of the most 
in any industry to keep the batteries and motor at their optimal temperature. So we have preheating systems when you start off in the morning or overnight, after an overnight soak at cold temperatures, it can preheat itself really fast to get up to the optimal temperature so you don't lose too much range. And then if you're operating in hotter conditions as well, uh, you can not lose any power and not be worried about overheating. In fact, our systems from the get-go were designed to be able to be translated to summer vehicles also. So we have an operating temperature ambient range from negative 40 to plus 40, we like to say. Wow. So just in very cold temperatures, right? I think people are nervous. This is a new product, new technology. People are nervous about, am I going to get stranded 30 miles out? And, and maybe a related question then, there's a concern or question about, you know, how does this battery do overnight in the cold? Is this a situation with the tech as it currently stands that, you know, the, the, the strong recommendation is going to be that you have to plug it in overnight or bring it inside to keep it from draining? Talk to me a bit about those concerns. So in terms of cold weather performance, um, our target was minimal range loss in cold weather. So we've been able to achieve around only like you lose 5% of your total range capacity um, uh, if it's below minus 20, but you'll actually lose almost 0% if you leave it plugged in overnight. That 5% goes to preheating the battery really fast. Unlike cars and stuff, we have no cabin heating, which takes up a big percentage of the energy as well. And in terms of draining the battery, it's been designed to be able to be left outside years on end with minimal drain to itself. So we knew that that was a big thing with power sport vehicles. We wanted this kind of hands-off solution where you could leave it in your garage or just outside parked in the snow all, all season without charging it. And it wouldn't be a problem. And this isn't just a claim. You guys are saying you're already there. It's not, you're not aspiring to this. You're saying you have this now. Yeah, no, exactly. That's been, that's been thoroughly tested. The auto industry often designs their cars to be on average function in hot climates because it's challenging for them to keep everything cool. And there's only a small fraction of the world that lives in cold climates. So they kind of sacrifice that section of the market with some reduced performances. So we've been able to really tune in and, and not go that route because we've really optimized for cold weather performance. Interesting. Yeah, that lazy auto industry, right? <laughs> you just go for the big, it's all about <laughs> cost savings in the end if you can save more costs by sacrificing a bit on heating elements and insulating materials, they'll, they'll go that route. Hmm. Okay, we've touched on it a bit, but let's try to focus in a little bit more on range. When are you currently expecting production TS3s to be turning out? So production TS3s to be turning out end of 2020. So in time for that winter. End of 2020. Okay, like how long would you be anticipating that the battery is going to last on a production TS3 coming out the end of 2020, let's say with a wide open throttle. Hmm. Wide open throttle, that's the worst condition for the battery pack. That, that, that depends a bit on some other factors, but on wide open throttle, yeah, range is tricky because if you're in deep snow, you're not, you're not gonna go very far on wide open throttle. If you're on groomed, you're gonna go very far. So um, uh, you could get anywhere between you know, like 50 to 80 kilometers on a, on a wide open throttle on a bit more hard pack conditions. If, if you're in super deep snow, you're going to get a bit less than that as well. Yeah. I mean, this whole range thing, I mean, this is like, how do we even talk about this and start laying out numbers? Range is very tricky to talk about for snowmobiles. It's so user specific for a car. You talk about highway range and that's the only thing that people care about. It's easy to replicate. Uh, for snowbills, it depends so much on the snow conditions uh, that we just like to do it on a case-per-case -case scenario and, and look at what parts of the market we can achieve. We Right now in the TS3, 
on average riding conditions, uh, we're aiming a range on the base models of 100 kilometers and then extended battery pack options up to 140 kilometers. But once again, that's going to vary with driving styles and driving conditions. We've seen that that can address a good part of the market, but there is definitely a part of the market for which that's just not enough range yet. And, and we know that, and the range will just keep getting better. And then those people will also be able to, to access electric snowmobiling. And then the other interesting part is if you can build in good charging infrastructure who are already working with some partners to put in place alongside the launch of the TS3, you can charge up the snowmobile with DC fast charging in under 20 minutes and, and get back on the trail with a hundred kilometers of range which means that you can put in some serious miles throughout the day if you want to. We're going to say more about charging next, but in thinking through, again, this whole range issue, do you have a specific range in mind or a minimum range in mind that you think we just know from surveys and data and user input, we've got to at least get to this range or is range kind of first and foremost kind of a byproduct of where we are in terms of thinking about weight and price and battery capacity? I would say that the range is restricted by the weight and price battery capacity kind of ratios. Uh, if we had much better cells available in the market today, the chemistry was much more advanced, you, you could stuff in way more battery. It's kind of like any electric vehicle really. Um, but the big thing for TS3 with this battery capacity was more based on testing with all the different clientele from ski resort users to more commercial based ones to as well as backcountry riders. And just from the data we gathered going out testing in all these places, if you take each one of them, you wanna be able to satisfy a, a large part of that market with the battery capacity and, and that's what we've achieved with, with TS3. Uh, so you can go out, let's say for a commercial user on a ski mountain the whole day on one battery charge with, with no issue with you, without having to plug in. And even for backcountry riders doing some testing, let's say with people like in Crested Butte in Revelstoke, you can go up deep into the backcountry for several hours and come back down and have a great day out on one battery charge. Uh, so for some people, it won't be enough because maybe they want to stay out for eight hours and you'll only be able to do four, but for plenty, uh, four hours of hard riding is also enough. And by the way, to get clear, you're saying that the TS3's base model will provide 100 kilometers of range. And then you say there's an option up to 140. How many options do we have here? Just two for now. Just two. So you go 100 or 140. Those are, your, those are your choices. Okay. Charging. You touched on this, but tell me a little bit more about some of the specifics and details about charging and what a, what a potential buyer ought to know. So number one is that we've adopted the same charging standards as the auto space. So people that have an electric car or they're looking to buy an electric car, all the same equipment that they will have installed or used to charge a car will also be able to charge a snowmobile. And then two is that there's many different charging options available from absolutely no upfront cost. If you talk about just charging with a wall outlet, you can plug your snowmobile directly into a wall outlet. There's no installation fees for any kind of equipment and that will give you an overnight charge. So for plenty, that's great enough. You go out, ride, the whole day on one battery charge, plug it in overnight, come back, and you're good to go in the morning. And then there's hard uh, capacity charging options. You have the standard level two, which will give you a charge in about two hours. And then you have level three, like DC fast charging, uh, which is what the Tesla supercharger network is as well. So those are kind of these bigger chargers that are installed in strategic locations. And that gives you access to fast charging in 20 minutes to 80% of your battery capacity. And talk to me again about the first option. If I'm going home and plugging this thing in overnight, how long of a charge to get this thing to, let's say, 100%? 
Uh, it's about 12, 12 to 13 hour charge to 100%. Okay. As somebody who's spent a lot of time working in the space of electric batteries, are we seeing currently quicker advances in terms of how fast we can recharge these things? Or are we seeing you know, quicker advances in terms of just overall battery capacity? They're both advancing quite fast. You start running into charging is more limited by the grid side infrastructure to be able to deploy really high power charging rates that becomes very expensive. So the, the biggest advancements are really being made in terms of battery capacity. We're seeing almost a doubling of battery capacity every five years. Um, uh, for the same price. So you're looking at five years from now in that 2025 region to be able to have the same range as a gas lead at the same price as a gas lead. So let's say, you know, that I wanted to be an early adopter here. I'm going to get this first generation TS3. I mean, three or four years from now, battery capacities are going to be in a pretty different place seems fair to say, do I need to just buy a whole new sled? What? How are you guys dealing with a bit of future proofing or what can be done in that sense? Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of like in the auto space as well. Um, there's a more of a market a bit for the early adopters that are looking for the best technology right now. But end, end of the line is that after three to four years of operating the snowmobile, you will have saved money compared to a gas sled you'll have had a hopefully more enjoyable ride with better performance. And then you'll be able to upgrade to the next model, which is better. And we're gonna be offering battery trade-in options as well, um, uh, snowmobile trade-in options. Because one of the interesting things with a snowmobile is that the battery is quite underutilized compared to a car. So our battery pack is still gonna have several years of life in, in it, even once people start looking to get a new sled. So we're gonna be reusing these batteries in some interesting grid storage projects. Oh, interesting. Care to say any more about that? Or was that the, do I just get a teaser? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a teaser, it's still <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> under development. Okay. Okay, let's talk about weight. These batteries can make electric vehicles a bit heavier. Weight matters on a snowmobile, you know, especially for off-groom trails performance. So how have you guys been working around this or thinking about this? Weight is the biggest challenge on a snowmobile. It's one of the most important things. Unlike a car, an electric car can easily be much heavier than a gas car, but that's not allowable on a snowmobile. So we've done a lot of work in system integration. So cutting out everything that's not useful in the sled, unlike a traditional gas sled, we've been able to save a lot of components that we've eliminated from the overall design to save weight. And then as well as focusing on lightweighting the rest of the, the motor itself is extremely lightweight for the power it delivers. So overall, our sled weight can be quite comparable to a gasoline sled. And one of the important things to note is that on spec sheets, manufacturers always give the dry weight of a gas snowmobile. Uh, but the dry weight, of, and that's what usually people <laughs> reference when they tr they compare it to our weight. But the dry weight of a snowmobile doesn't include almost 60 to 70 pounds of fuel, plus another easily 10 pounds of oil, uh, chain lubrificant, and then other coolant fluid as well. So on average, you have to add about at least 100 pounds to that dry weight to get the real weight of the snowmobile as you're driving it. And when you do that, we're at a very comparable weight to the gas snowmobile. As you roll out and are talking about a utility sled versus some of the other offerings, that stays about the same. You're basically just going to, each of these models would be coming in quite comparably weight-wise. Yeah, exactly. So comparatively weight-wise in their snowmobile class, the mountain model, uh, you're, you're, there's definitely a bit of a weight premium on the electric compared to the combustion. Uh, we're always improving on that front and cutting down weight where we can. But the center of gravity is so balanced. You have no fuel sloshing with the snowmobile. 
Um, we've been able to cut down on the amount of snow that sticks to the snowmobile in terms of the radiator because we run a lot cooler, uh, snow ingress because we have no air intakes. So your overall riding weight in powder conditions is going to be very similar, if not lighter, with the electric snowmobile. Hmm. Where, are, where are the critics coming after you or the concerned folks, let's say? We've talked about a lot of different elements here, right? Power, the charging, the weight, et cetera. I think the biggest is always the range, like with any other electric vehicle, um, especially those that are used to riding really long distances. They'll question if an electric snowmobile has its place because it can't, it can't offer the range that they're looking for. But one of the important things to note is that it's a very varied market and there's a very big percentage that doesn't need to do uh, 200 plus kilometers on on one charge we'll be getting to that 200 plus kilometer for charge in a, in a few years from now um, but that that's where our biggest critics are coming from right now and then just the resistance to to change anything new in a in a segment always uh, seeds a bit of doubt but everyone's usually pretty convinced after a test ride Back on the charging, by the way, you had mentioned placing in some strategic areas, uh, effectively a type of charging station. Yeah. Yeah. So char charge access to good charging is a big plus to expand any electric vehicle network, snowmobiles included. So trail networks, um, getting DC fast charging access on high travel trail networks. So you can go hundred kilometers plus, stop for lunch, stop for a coffee, get back on the trail and do another hundred kilometers. That's something that we're working towards putting in place. And then we're exploring with some energy suppliers more in the backcountry areas, something that's already being done in other segments, which is off-grid charging access. So there are some cool projects under development uh, on our end that we're hoping to get put in place in the near future where you could have some big off-grid batteries supplemented by solar panels where people could recharge on a mountaintop and have, you, you know, instead of bringing a jerry can along with you, you, you could just plug in while you eat your lunch on the mountaintop and be back to a uh, hundred percent when you go back out after lunch. That's what's really cool about electric is that the nature of the grid as well as you can have distributed energy systems, especially for backcountry areas. We're working a lot with more remote communities as well. They need to fly in gasoline to power their snowmobiles. Wouldn't it be amazing if they could just use a wind turbine to stock energy and then recharge their snowmobiles there without having to haul around gasoline across thousands of miles? I like this view of the world you're presenting. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about price. I just find myself always, as I'm talking to different manufacturers in a lot of different spaces, I'm always just like, I don't know, price is impossible. So I guess I'm curious how much um, hand wringing there has been at Taiga about price or whether it's like, look, this is what stuff costs. And so uh, price just kind of is what it is. We are quite price obsessive. So one of the big things with the snowmobile industry is unlike a car industry, when Tesla launched, they took that approach where almost everyone has taken recently going into electric space as you go full premium model at the beginning. So, you, you know, you start with a hundred thousand dollar plus car and that affords you certain flexibilities in terms of design and manufacturing. We wanted to avoid going that route because one, there isn't much of a super premium snowmobile market. It doesn't exist. And two, we wanted this machine to be accessible to everyone, especially the commercial users, which they'll switch over for the environmental aspects of why it's electric, but bottom of the line, it has to save them money after a few years of operation. So that was our target. We needed to make a snowmobile that was less expensive to own than a gas snowmobile, which was an extreme challenge uh, because we weren't operating in this flexible premium space. So 
we go down to the price of every single bolt and try and s- shave off cents where we can. Well, and we've got a pre-order, right? And I want to talk a bit about that. But is that price still a bit of a moving target currently for production models of the TS3? That price is our maximum target. Um, so that's a price we're hoping to see come down over the years, kind of Tesla style where you know they're launching with the more high-end models, maybe the extended ranges and the higher power models. And then and it's coming down with their production ramp up as well. Okay. So t- somebody listening to this conversation and they're like, cool, you guys have kind of sold me on this notion of an electric snowmobile. What's this going to cost me? So the price target right now is around 15 grand. And when you're talking about a rollout, a uh, end of 2020 rollout, how many models are going to be available? What are the, what are the package options here? Tell me more about that. There's going to be three main models available. You're going to have the utility model, which is called the Nomad. That's the one mainly used by commercial operators. It's a workhorse. It can go long distances, tow loads. Uh, it's comfortable to ride. Then you have the backcountry model, the Echo. That's the, the powerhouse model. It can climb any hill, go in deep powder, super light and maneuverable. And then you have the more crossover model, um, uh, the Atlas, which can go both on trail and off trail. So those are kind of our three launch models. And then as well as we're gonna have more of a hidden, we have a race development model, which is a trail model that's gonna be coming out in the near future, but we're gonna be doing some snow cross racing next winter with as well. Okay, and so let's stick to the first three models, the, the Nomad, the Echo, and the Atlas. Base prices for all three of those are gonna be around 15K? Yes. Okay. And then if I wanted to bump up to, say, an Echo with 140 kilometers of range. Yeah, maxed out, 180 horsepower, 140 kilometer range, the full package. Yeah, then we're looking at the the dose price points and the premium models haven't been put down yet. You're looking at a price premium of around $3,000 for a fully decked out snowmobile. And so you guys currently have a pre-order going on literally right now, right? Yeah, that's right. We just announced the pre-orders for the TS3-based platform models um, alongside the launch. So people can now go online, pre-order their sled. That gets them a spot in line on the reservation list. And then as well as it guarantees them access to testing a snowmobile next winter so we know it's important that people want to try something out before they buy it, to commit to buying it. So this way they can pre-order it, come out and test the snowmobile, see if they like it or not, and then decide if they want to place an order for the subsequent season. And pre, how much would I have to put down on a pre-order? It's $500. $500 on a pre-order. And I believe I saw this is a refundable 500 yeah, exactly. That's important. It's a fully refundable, no questions asked at any time. You, you can get that money back if you want. So for 500 bucks, I get a place in line and I guarantee that I get to get on one of these. Exactly. We have a, a lot of demand from across the world. So we wanted a way to see who was actually serious about wanting to buy one to decide where we would be sending all these demo sleds for testing. And from a geographical point of view, what do you currently see as being your potential biggest markets? The biggest markets are Canada, US, and then the Scandinavian countries in Europe. That's where we're going to be focusing our demo units for the upcoming winter. In terms of North America, the biggest markets are kind of Eastern Canada, US, and then you have actually Colorado is, is by far one of our biggest demand markets right now. And then you have West, West Coast as well. So British Columbia uh, and that stretch almost down to California. Going back a bit, it sounds like this has now roughly been a, I mean, it's been about a decade since you guys have been thinking about and working on electric sleds, right? From the days at McGill. 
Is there a single thing you would look at and say has been the like single biggest challenge from when you first got started thinking about these things and working on them to where we are today? Interesting. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one specific <laughs> specific challenge. You're, you're I would like, say. it's all hard, man. <laughs> I mean, it's been a great, great ride. You wouldn't change anything really about it. But there's been a lot of big challenges from the technical side to, I mean, launching a business, uh, fundraising, building out the team, and just uh, having the perseverance to, to hang on across a decade on the same project and just, just grind out the late night work hours day after day. But that's really what building a great startup is about. And what do you see as some of the biggest looming challenges coming on the horizon? The biggest looming ch challenge comes as no surprise as being the production ramp up. Um, it's very complicated for vehicles. You have more than a thousand individual parts in a, in a snowmobile sourced from dozens of suppliers all, all having to come together perfectly. Uh, so that's why we're we're taking the necessary time to deliver a product that's gonna have the quality that people want. We don't wanna rush something onto the market and see it have issues. We wanna launch something that's gonna be a great final product. And where is production taking place? Your, your headquarters are in Montreal. Production will be happening. Yeah, production currently planned to be happening uh, around Montreal. So for us, it was important that the snowbills, kind of the snowbilling history started in Quebec largely with Skidoo. And we wanted to conserve that part of our history here in Quebec and, and have the first electric snowbills rolling off the line here as well. Were you guys tempted to maybe license, you know, a proven chassis from, you know, one of the, the gasoline snowmobile companies out there? It's an interesting question. Uh, so the big, what's interesting about power sports industry is very small. There's only four players in snowmobiling. They're quite vertically integrated and brand sensitive. So everything they do goes towards, you know, their brand. Um, specifically for the chassis, one of the things you want to be careful of actually is designing from the ground up, designing around someone else's chassis leads to a lot of compromises. So, you know, Skidoo has a great chassis for combustion sleds, but it, it would be a terrible chassis for an electric snowmobile. So you can't just kind of pick up off the line and, and do a conversion. It's going to make a really subpar product. Will you guys be selling a factory ski rack system? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be offering a full scope of accessories for the snowmobile on racking and on ski racking. One of the big applications for the snowmobile, we know it's going to be backcountry ski access. So we're going to be offering that accessory. I want to get your take because I think you're going to have a pretty interesting perspective on what we see happening in terms of electric automobiles. My God, Tesla certainly is getting a whole lot of praise and then gets a ton of scrutiny and criticism. And we've got companies like Rivian and Bollinger getting into the game. And then we've got Volkswagen and Ford and other extremely established and traditional auto manufacturers moving and saying they're moving into this space. Talk to me a little bit about the, the electric auto space. The electric auto space is really interesting. We follow it really closely for many reasons. One, it's very influential and the fact that it just keeps doing better and especially Tesla being at the forefront of that, the fact that you know they're being able now to meet their milestones and deliver all these cars, that helps us in many ways when we're talking to investors because there are all these people succeeding in the really complicated auto space. And then on another front, we're just really excited about the ramp up of even the, all these big players and smaller players all coming into the auto space because 
they're buying all these batteries and similar components as we are. And that ramp up in the global volume of production of specialty electric components is making prices fall extremely fast across the board on all these different platforms, which helps in the end with lower cost snowmobiles as well. Are you keeping a close watch on some of these other uh, maybe newer or lesser known companies like Rivian or Bollinger? It's been great to see some of these kind of explode. Uh, Rivian, we've been following since we started and they went from being a pretty unknown company back back in 2010. They were, they were still had a presence, uh, very small looking and now they're almost a huge established player coming in with a great looking vehicle. Um, so it's great to see these startups succeeding in all these EV spaces across the board. What's the best question I haven't asked you? Oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it should be, are we gonna have driverless snowmobiles? <laughs> that's the best. I'm not sure that's the best question, but it is a question. So yeah, are we going to have autonomous uh, snowmobiles? Yeah, that's more of a funny question. <laughs> on, on on one end, you would think it would be quite useless because <laughs> you, you want to get on a snowmobile to drive it. It's <laughs> one, one of the big parts of fun, but it's a project that we've had in the back of our mind for a while because... It started off as all these backcountry skiers use their snowmobile for backcountry access, but we thought it'd be pretty amazing if we could develop something where a skier could go up the mountain and have a snowmobile follow him down, and then you'd have a mobile lift that could bring you anywhere. Yeah, instead of just sending it, right? Ghost, ghost style. Yeah, exactly. No, the... The best question is a, more of the serious question, and it's one that we always get asked often. And it's why aren't any of the big guys doing this? You know, we see in the automotive space, Tesla started maybe almost twenty years ago now. Um, but why why aren't the big snowmobile manufacturers en- entering the space at this point? Because all the established automotive guys are doing it. And that has a a few reasons behind it. The snowmobile space is quite of a niche market. So there's a bit less competition than on the automotive side. It's a very complicated product to electrify. There's a lot of easier easier routes on on electric. So, you know, you you have Polaris who is offering some electric ATVs now. Uh, Those those are quite easy to do. They, They go slowly and weight isn't such a big concern. But no one in the electric snowmobile space, uh, they're they're waiting out to see if it's possible, kind of like what the automotive space did before them. So until there's a Tesla that pops up and shows the world that it is possible to build a great electric power sport vehicle and a great electric snowmobile, uh, no one else is going to do it. And that's why we started Taiga to, to be the first and to lead that transition to electric vehicles. So... My last question for you today, you opened this conversation by saying that Taiga Motors is a company that makes power sport vehicles. I noticed this company is not called Taiga Snowmobiles. And I guess I'm just curious how intentional that was in terms of leaving the door open in the future for moving into some power sport vehicle areas that are not snowmobiles. Exactly, from the beginning, we wanted to electrify more than just snowmobiles, but all these outdoor off-road vehicles uh, in the industry. So we have a snowmobile right now, and we're actually just shortly going to be announcing a watercraft as well in the upcoming few months. Care to say any more? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be a personal watercraft. So we, it's the, the kind of snowmobile of the summer. And they face the similar kind of issues as snowmobiles do, even even more so in many places in terms of noise. So we've been able to completely get rid of the noise around the personal watercraft. So now you can go out and have a great time on on a lake 
not disturb anyone, zero emissions, and have all the great performance from electric as well. Wow. Sam, this has really been very illuminating and very interesting and a lot of fun. Like I said, I've been I've been badgering my poor circle of friends and and uh, some of our <laughs> reviewers here in CB, and we've had some heated debates and excited debates at times about uh, from afar, uh, you know what you guys have been working on at Taiga, and uh, I'm rooting quite hard for your success here. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Great, thanks so much for for having me. Yeah, we've seen. There's been a lot of debate happening around Taiga and our electric snowmobiles, and that's a key part of the process. The, the more people that talk about it and, and get used to it, as the technology rolls out, we'll be able to convert more people to electric. And so for those who are interested in just learning more about Taiga um, and perhaps getting in on the pre-order, uh, where should they go? They can just go straight to our website, so taigamotors.com. Taigamotors.com. Uh, in terms of following along. Yeah, we've got a Instagram, Facebook, and a newsletter you can sign up to as well. Yeah, so lots of places to, to follow along this journey. So, well, Sam, I'm going to let you get going. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking down the line. Great. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Sam for the conversation. And you can go see what Sam and his crew have been up to over at taigamotors.ca. And don't forget to check out the last episode of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, where we're talking about Carbon 2.0 with the guys at Gorilla Gravity in Denver. Thanks, everybody. Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.